Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. Well, we're getting closer and closer to very pivotal moments in our country. We are soon going to go to the polls, and we're going to decide the future of our country, the fate of our country. I think we have to look at this rationally and calmly, because every, every election for the last, I don't know, 10 cycles, many people have said, this is the most important election in American history, and each one has been. You know, we've tried to push back on the never-ending attack of socialism, communism, and that kind of thinking on the American style of government, of freedom and liberty and constitutional uh, activity. For whatever reason, and, and I've tried to analyze it in the past, and I say all the time that tyranny is the default position of humanity. That is how we end up living. And you say, well, wh why would we want to live under that? And it, I believe it has a lot to do with fear and security and need. And I think this is built into us as pack creatures. That's what we are. You know, we live together. We're communal uh, groups. We're, we're not loners. We're not, uh, you know, lone animals. We're not great white sharks of the ocean that live on their own. Human beings have lived together in packs, communal type of uh, situations since we've been here. We, we see that with the Neanderthals. We see that with the Davionians. I think I'm saying that correct. And we see that with, uh, you know, the modern Homo sapien. So what, what do we get at it? What does fear give us? What does fear give us? Well, fear is a motivator in, in just about any living creature. You know, you, everything develops and reacts to fear. So that's where fight or flight or freeze comes from in just about all creatures. Animal kingdom, you know, the animal kingdom, they don't have a lot of the freeze part. I think that's the higher intellectual creatures on the planet that might have the freeze. I know humans have the freeze. And by what, what I mean that is, you know, it's been built into our systems that when we are confronted with something dangerous, uh, we, we develop the fear response. So when it comes to a fear response, say you're walking, you know, you're, you're a beginning human years and years and millions of years ago, whatever it is, hundreds of thousands of years ago, and you're walking up the path, and a lion or a saber-toothed tiger jumps out on the path with you. Well, you have to make some quick decisions here because that's a dangerous situation. You know, everything is eat or be eaten, survival of the fittest in the animal kingdom. And when we started out, we were just a bit smarter than the other animals. And you get this saber-toothed tiger who jumps onto the path and decides that you would be a good meal. Now you have a choice. You can fight that animal to survive, uh, and fear can motivate you to fight, uh, or you can flee. You know, take flight, run out of there. So that's the fight or flight. You run away to try and save yourself. That fear tells you, you know, uh, get going, get out of here. When it comes to the higher intellectual groups of human beings, we also have the freeze. So if you are afraid and you can't fight and you are too afraid and you're paralyzed 
and you can't uh, flee, do the flight part, then you very often will do the freeze. Now, we do freeze as human beings, and I see this all the time. I'm a safety and security expert, and this is what I do. I see the freeze in all different groups, uh, even, even among law enforcement. I've seen the freeze, and that comes from not being prepared to handle the, uh, the, the threat, right? And that threat comes to you, and it's scary, because if it wasn't threat, if it was, it was a good thing, it'd be joyous. You wouldn't be afraid, right? So our, our human being response to fear is fight, flight, or freeze, and that's been built into us so we can survive, right? So we can survive. We can't physically fight the saber-toothed tiger. They will tear us apart. We have a brain that can help us outthink them. So maybe instead of just running like the other animals might just run and they'd be overtaken by the saber-toothed tiger, maybe we would think to say, hey, there's a stream down below, a 20-foot cliff, and I know it's deep. Let me jump off of here into the water because the saber-toothed tiger probably will not follow me off the cliff. That's a thought decision. See, and those are higher-end thinkings, even though they're rudimentary. You know, the average animal would not jump into the river or the creek down below, but a human might think that is an option, right? Now, if we had thought about that, if our ancient us's had thought about, hey, if we ever are confronted with a wild animal that wants to eat us and we're near the river uh, and we know that they will not jump in the river because it's not, it, that's a fear for that. Why would you jump off, off the path, off a cliff into the water? Uh, that's built into most animals. No, that's not the smart thing to do unless they're an aquatic type of an animal. Right, so human beings might know, hey, I fish down there, I've spent time down there, and I know that water's pretty deep. I might even have jumped off this cliff for pleasure. I might have gone swimming here with a group of people in my, uh, in my, my band, my, my family or whatever. So you might think ahead of time, hey, if anything's ever chasing me and I have to run, I might decide to jump off this cliff into the water because I know it's deep enough, I won't get hurt, and it'll get me away from the animal. Right? So that's higher-end thinking. Right? So all this is going somewhere. I'm, I'm just trying to ask you to follow me here. This is why I say that the, the, um, the human default position is to live under tyranny, because we're afraid, because we have fears, because we can't overcome um, wild animals, uh, in many cases, we can't we can't beat a pack of wolves as a lone individual. We need a pack of our own. So therefore, we stick together, right? So the whole idea here is that fear is a survival mechanism. If it's overwhelming to us, then it can be a detriment because if you're so scared you can't function, then you're going to make bad decisions. You're going to make wrong choices. You're going to get hurt and probably taken out by that saber-toothed tiger or whatever else is chasing you. So for human beings, when we see a strong person, we see a strong leader come along, someone who seems to have overcome their fear. Maybe that leader in our ancient days has had many run-ins with the saber-toothed tigers and knows how they behave, knows how they hunt, knows how they chase, and know what their faults are, how they could overcome them, where they'll fall into a trap, where they won't jump off a cliff. Whatever it is, we find this strong leader. And this strong leader provides guidance and safety based on their experience and their courage and whatever other positive uh, attributes they have. So therefore, we follow that person. We uh, 
we, we give in to that person's uh, leadership. We submit to that person. And I think that's where uh, all of that really comes from because it's, it, it's a matter of survival. So when we think of a time going throughout history, whenever there's been a strong, very, very strong leader that rises to the top of the country, the organization, the tribe, whatever, that strong leader uh, then dictates how things go because everyone else falls in line. Occasionally, we will see that someone else will step up and say, hey, I should be the leader. I'm strong. And then they'll have a challenge to the leadership. And that is usually done um, either in violent fight to the death to decide who's going to rule everything here or uh, an acquiescence. Maybe the original leader is older and it's a younger leader who is strong and brave and powerful. And the older leader decides to step aside out of fear of being destroyed, being humiliated, whatever. See what I'm saying? See, I'm all this going with the human beings. We have to add the intellectual part into all of this. So there's thinking in the animal world. They do the same kind of thing without the thinking. Haven't we seen in just about any um, bands of animals, whether they be wolves, <clears throat> excuse me, whether they be wolves or the, uh, the silverback gorilla groups that we've seen how they've been uh, tried to be understood, that there's, uh, there's usually um, a younger, strong member of the community that decides to step up and, hey, I'm going to be the leader now, and then they fight to the death. Or they fight to the point that the one of them is beaten so badly that they they lumber away. Um, that's natural, I think, in in whatever it is that put us together here uh, to understand. So we're no different. We're just a different group of animals with a greater intellect. So I think that's where the default position of humanity statement that I make. I think that's where it comes from. We see it over and over again. I mean, the people of Germany fell under the spell of Adolf Hitler uh, because he was strong and powerful and uh, started taking over other countries and, and had guts. And he, he, utilized his, um, he utilized his resources to attack other people. He was also horrifically evil, um, which gave him the ability to do horrific things that put people um, under his thumb. Now, when we look at that aspect of it, this is another part of, of humanity to understand, you know, that, that response, that fear response that I'm talking about. When we think about the 9-11 hijackers, and I've talked about this before, but I think this is a good point to, to reinterject it. These were, you know, four to five men that had box cutters. And you say to yourself, how do four to five men with box cutters take over an airplane filled with men and women who were strong and healthy? Well, what they did is they engaged in an act of brutality. Brutality is kind of like the saber-toothed tiger jumping on the path. When we see brutality, um, it affects us as human beings because then we have to decide, gee, do we want to engage in that? So what they did, we know in, in several instances, they grabbed a stewardess, a female flight attendant, um, and they cut her throat. And they bled her out in front of everybody. Now everyone saw this horrific act of violence in front of them. And they did not want to participate in that. So therefore the human response to that, seeing that horrific thing, was to back off and to give in. So one of the things that we teach people 
when it comes to survival instincts, how to, how to bolster your survival instincts, because we have intelligence, we're human beings, we can be more intelligent and we can think our way through. Uh, you know, you don't want the first time you have to do something be the first time you thought about it, another one of my sayings. Uh, and the reality is we teach people that if you are attacked, the best time for you to fight back is as the attack is taking place. So you think about that in advance, right? You have to say, what would I do if I was attacked here? That gives you an edge because you're not surprised, you're not caught off guard, you've thought about what you might do, maybe you've practiced it, you've taken some uh, physical fighting skills, maybe you, uh, maybe you carry your concealed carry weapon with you, uh, and you've practiced with it so that if you're ever in a position where you're attacked, you can respond. So that's, that's one of the ideas is that that's how we overcome that fear factor that puts us in and brutality, brutality when we see it, is is very powerful and if we don't react when we see it it can have us submit to that violence or to that strong person you kind of get all this how this all goes together we are human beings and we're we're all kind of um we're kind of caught up in this whole mess of of how this goes so one of the things that when we talk about um you know surviving uh, what i've told my sons and daughters was that if someone ever jumped in your car and they told you to get out, and you can get out, I'd say get out of the car, right? You don't know if the person has a, we a weapon, they don't have a knife, they might have a gun, they could stab you, whatever. If they tell you to get out, get out, unless you can drive away and get away from them immediately. <clears throat> if they get in the car and they tell you to drive somewhere, this is a moment that you have to understand. If you drive away with them, that means they're taking you. And if they're taking you, they're taking you not for a good reason. So therefore, if they, they open your car door and say, get out, get out, and they're going to take your car, get out, give them the car, it's a car, right? It's a car, you can get another car. Um, but if they jump in the car with you and they say, drive, drive this car, move, I always tell them, do not go very far. Crash that car the first chance you get. And people say, Lieutenant Joe, that's crazy. Then the bad guy will kill you right there. Well, let me tell you, you have to think this through. If somebody jumps in the car and tells you to drive, they're taking you for a reason, right? And for most reasons, it's psychosexual and homicidal. They're gonna take you somewhere, they're gonna sexually abuse you and probably kill you and leave you there. So your, your odds of surviving that situation uh, in general are not very good. So therefore, somebody jumps in the car with you and tells you to go, I say crash the car so that you don't leave the area. Is there a chance they would stab you if you did that? If they shot you if they did that? Yes, there is that chance. Most likely, uh, out of their sense of fear then of being caught, I think there's an equal chance that they would jump out of the vehicle and run away, realizing they can't kidnap you, they can't take you, uh, and now the vehicle is immobile, they're not going anywhere, and the police are going to be coming. Somebody's going to be coming when a car crashes. So my thinking here is, yes, you're making choices. When it comes to these kind of things, you're making choices. Crash the car as fast as you can. If you can crash it on their side of the car, so maybe their head goes through the windshield, all the better. But the bottom line is, if you crash the car, you're not going, you're not going for that ride into the forest where you probably will not come back from. All right, so we have to think about this. It's the fear that makes us react. So when we see fear, fight or flight, and we see uh, all of these things going on, how does that relate to our lives every single day? Well, we have an election coming. We have an election coming. 
And who are we going to vote for? Who are we going to vote for and why would we vote for them? Now, if we, if we take, I don't know, there's probably 40% of liberals and 40% of conservatives that are just going to vote liberal and conservative because that's, that's all they know. That's who they are. They're going to push the button for the, uh, for the R or the D because that's what they always do. The other 20% in the middle are the people who usually make a difference in which way the election goes. Whichever side they swing to is usually who's going to win. So what factors do we have here that are reminiscent of fight or flight and fear? Well, we see the fear factor displayed. <clears throat> Excuse me. We see the fear factor displayed all the time, right? Don't they tell us, uh, our friends on the left tell us, uh, they want to cut Medicare. They want to starve old people. They want you to die. They want to take away your medicine. They want to do horrible things to you. That's a fear factor. That's the uh, saber-toothed tiger jumping onto the trail. Now, you have, to, you have to make a choice. Do you believe them? Are they seeming strong that they're going to protect you, and therefore you're going to go under their, their protection, and you're going to vote their way because you don't want your Medicare taken away. You don't want your Social Security taken away. What I say is you have to think. You're a human being. You have the ability to think and rationalize. Think about things first. Let's think about this. Is anyone actually going to take away Social Security or Medicare, Medicaid? Is anyone really going to do that? The Republicans, when they get power, they're going to do away with that. All these old people can die with no medicine. Do you, do you really believe that? Because if you really believe that, you need to look deeper in the mirror and say, there's something wrong with me that I believe they would actually do that. Would they change the programs, maybe? Yes. There is a possibility that programs could change to make them um, more efficient, that they function properly, that there'll be less waste uh, and, and fraud because all of these programs are, are prone to waste and fraud. So when we see how fear works, us, I remember they, they showed a picture of, uh, of one, one of the Republicans with his, his grandmother in a wheelchair and uh, he dumped her off a cliff. That is meant to scare. We always, we, we always see these scare attack, attack ads to scare elderly people because they are vulnerable. They are down to a fixed income. Maybe it's only Social Security. That's all they have. And if you tell them, if you vote for them Republicans, they're going to take it away from you. They don't care about you. They want you to starve and die. That can be very, very scary when you are in a vulnerable position. Therefore, fear is what motivates us. And you see them as strong. See, so again, this whole concept is repeated over and over and over again in, um, in human existence. When we look at our elections, we need to think. Remember, you don't want the first time you do something to be the first time you thought about it. So you think that through. And we now have to say, let's not be afraid. Let's all of us, everybody, let's look at this and try and decipher. Are we better off the way things are now regardless of the intent of the policies. Because I always talk about the policies. That's what it's about. It's about policy and how people govern and what they do. Are you better off with this? So one of the things we can look at is this green energy, green New Deal kind of a thing. Is it a bad thing to stop polluting? No, it's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. Is it a bad thing to get away from the reliance on fossil fuels, which create pollution, no doubt it does, and have electric cars. Wouldn't that be better? Well, in some instances it would. I think we needed to have the option of both. But the question is, 
are, can we go there now today? Now, I think our friends on the left see this as a great solution, uh, that if everyone had electric cars, there'd be no more gasoline, we wouldn't need it, and this and that. Thing. And that's, that's not an unreasonable thought. What makes it unreasonable is that we're not ready to do it. We, we've only put in, what, 10 years, 12 years into these concepts? And we can see you can only go 300 miles in a $70,000 electric car. So 300 miles sounds great if you're running around town, if you're around home. But when you have to go on a trip, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have to go on a trip and you got to go 1,000 miles, well, I can do that in a tank and a half of gasoline nonstop in X amount of hours. In an electric car, I can only go 300 miles, maybe five hours, six hours, depending on my speed. Then I got to pull over for eight to 10 hours and charge up again so I can go another day. So we don't have the technology right now to dump us all over to that. So therefore, we still need fossil fuel energy. Common sense tells you that it's a good idea to develop new products. Wind and solar, I think, are great when they can provide the energy we need. Can they supplement what we already have? Yes, and that's what we should be working on. We should be working on supplementing our use of fossil, flu fossil fuels so that we can reduce the, the amount we use, which that would be a good thing, right? So I'm not opposed to those things. And I think anyone, if you think through this, we could have some kind of a, a, um, an understanding, an agreement between all of us that, yes, that's a great idea, but it's not right now. So therefore, this push to, to stop our own energy production has cost all of us thousands and thousands of dollars. It's cost our businesses thousands and thousands of dollars, which turns around and, and reveals itself as higher prices, which affects you. So you're paying more for gasoline to get around to go to work, then you're paying more for the food you eat and everything else you buy for the same reason, because the fuel costs have gone up, amongst other things. So you're paying twice for something that does not work right now the way they're portraying it, right? If we, what, what has happened? The evidence is crystal clear. California, one of the, one of the biggest uh, green places in the world, in the middle of a, of a heat wave, they had a trouble with electricity. They had rolling brownouts and blackouts. And what did they tell people? Don't charge your cars today. Well, if you have, what, if we, what if you have to go to work? Don't charge your car today because the grid is not ready yet. This is going to take billions and billions, if not trillions of dollars, for us to fix our grid, create a grid that can handle everyone going to electric cars. So it's not feasible Right? So I believe that a lot of people who are on the right, who are more conservative, are not against wind and solar and green energy. We're just simply saying, we can't do it on the drop of a hat. We can't do it tomorrow and get rid of fossil fuels. So therefore, we need good, reliable, cheap energy still, probably for another 20 or 30 years, while we develop all these other green products and make them affordable. So therefore, we should have our own energy. We should not be scared to death of fossil fuels. And that's another way. It's going to kill us. How many times have we heard from different celebrities out there, you have 10 years left to live. We're all going to be dead in 10 years. The oceans are going to be gone. Well, those 10-year milestones have come and gone three or four times, and we're pretty much in the same place we were. In America, we have cleaned up our pollution 
to a huge extent. Is there still pollution? There is. Is there more to do? Yes, there is. But the rest of the developing world that's industrializing like we did in the 1800s and early 1900s, they are polluting like crazy. So it makes no sense to say we're going to stop our own oil production and gas production here in America where we can have plentiful amounts of gas and oil at a cheap price to fuel our economy, to fuel our lives because we want to be green, so we're going to stop doing it, but we're going to buy it from countries that are polluting like crazy. This is stupidity. This is stupidity, and it's also based on fear. We have to do the right thing. This virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. Yes, we've given up our, our, our industries, and we're all going to go green. Well, you're not really going to go green when they tell you you can't charge your cars for a few days because it's hot out, right? It's fear that's trying to motivate all these things. So my purpose of telling you fight, flight, or freeze is to give you a background to see what they're doing politically, how they're using this, this innate thing built into humans to motivate you. So if you are one of those people that's sitting out there panicked to death that we're going to die, gasoline's going to kill us, it's, we, we, will, we will be smothered in 10 years, you really need to think this through. It is a good thing to go to green energy, to wind, solar, and electric cars. That would be great when we can handle it, when the technology catches up with our idea. You know, uh, John F. Kennedy stood on a podium one day and he said, it's our goal, someday we will go to the moon and we'll do it in this decade, right? That was a great idea. We couldn't launch a rocket the next day and go to the moon. It took a long time, a lot of money, a lot of uh, preparation before we could launch that rocket and land on the moon uh, in 1969. Green energy, solar energy, wind energies to supplement and, and cut down on our use of fossil fuels is a good idea, but we're not ready yet. We can't jump in the rocket tomorrow and go there, and they're trying to push us there, and they're trying to do it by making everyone scared to death. And what's the result? It's costing us an arm and a leg to live. It's, it's increased a cost for every family, right? And that's just the beginning. Everything else that our friends on the left are doing that are trying to socialize things, remember, that's always where it's trying to go. No matter what they come up with, no matter what policy it is, whatever procedure, it's a good thing for everyone. It's really to move power into the hands of the state. That's the whole goal of that kind of a philosophy, as opposed to the conservative philosophy of freedom, individual liberty, uh, and the ability to make your own choices. So uh, that's what I wanted to cover in our first part of our, of our little get-together today. The last thing I'm going to talk about here is going to be a public service announcement because I, I travel a lot. I'm on the road again today. Um, the reality is uh, if you're in the left-hand lane of the highway, of the superhighway, and the speed is 65 miles an hour and you're doing 70, and you're, you're saying, you're do and there's nine cars behind you, and you say, I'm not moving out of this lane. I'm doing above the speed limit. Let me tell you, you're an idiot. Get out of the lane. If there's a car behind you, move over. Let that person go in front of them, right? Your job is not to say, well, I'm going the speed limit, therefore I don't have to. Get out of the lane. You're annoying everyone, and you're causing accidents and problems. We'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice here on the America Out Loud Radio Network. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? 
Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all. All right then, my friends, welcome back to Chasing Justice here on the America Out Loud Radio Network. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So thank you for indulging me, the ability to um, offer my my thoughts on, on what's going on in the world. Uh, and my last little ending public service announcement, my PSA there on left lane drivers, uh, I just wanted to finish up the thought on that. You know, when I said you cause accidents, you do. Because if you watch, and I spend a lot of time on the highways now, I'm traveling all over the place again. If you see what happens, when that car sitting in that left lane blocking four, five, six, seven other cars from getting around, eventually people get impatient and they start cutting across lanes to get around the center lane people who are going slower. And then they cut in front of the people in the far right lane who are going even slower. Then they whip around the middle lane to get ahead of you. And often that causes accidents. So there's one of two reasons I think you do this. Either one, you are totally unconscious at the wheel of the car and you're just driving along. You're not paying attention. So for safety's sake, uh, I would tell you, glance in the rear view mirror every once in a while. Use your side mirrors. Look around. Pay attention to your environment. Uh, don't be texting. Don't be fiddling with the radio, smoking a cigarette. Look in the rearview mirror. Look in your mirror. Gee, look, there's a line of cars behind me. Right? Get out of the way. Move over. Let them go past you. If you want to go 70 and everyone wants to do 85, get in the lane that's doing 70 because people cut around you. I've seen so many horrific accidents in the last five or six years because of watching people cut around other people who won't get the hell out of the lane. Okay, I think I've done enough with that. Get out of the lane, unless you're gonna go faster. All right. Let's talk about somebody who has seen the light, or seemingly seen the light. 
had a change of heart, someone who's thinking, someone who's realizing that maybe things aren't the way they should be. And of course, I'm talking about um, Tulsi Gabbard. Now, I've liked Tulsi Gabbard since she ran for president. I watched the Democrat um, uh, debates, and I watched her up there on the stage with all of these other candidates from the Democrat Party, and I kept saying to myself, there's something about her in, in what she's saying, her words, her thoughts, her concepts, her policies that do not really seem to match the rest, you know, which one of these things is different from the other? Which one of these things is not like the other? That's an old song, right, from when you were a kid. And I'd say, what is different about her? And it was clear what was different was, was how she saw the world, her policies, her love of her country. I think when we compare our two parties now, and believe me, there's, there's corruption and, and bad people on both sides, and there's also good people on both sides. Don't get me wrong. I, I get all that. In general, we have to say, what does somebody stand for? What do you stand for? What are your policies? What, what are your beliefs? And that's where we as American citizens have got to take a look at what we believe. You know, one of the things I, I talk about uh, when I do some training and I talk about core beliefs, when I talk about leadership, and I ask everyone, do you have core beliefs? And people will raise their hands. They have core beliefs. I say, what are your core beliefs? And then I get, um, uh, um, uh, uh, do the right thing. Okay, well, that's, that is a, you know, I guess that's a basic um, statement of do the right thing is a core belief. You believe to do the right thing. Well, what does that mean, do the right thing? Does that mean do the ethical thing? Does that mean do the self-sacrificing thing? Does that mean do the thing that gives you the best bang for the buck. So you have to define these kind of things. And Tulsi Gabbard seemed completely different up there on that stage. And since then, I have heard her speak on all kinds of different topics, different programs. And it seems to me she was getting more and more conservative in, in the things that she says and does to the point that it has to be I'm going to say a month or two ago, uh, you know, time goes, goes like so fast, I can't believe it. And I, and I saw it uh, on Truth Social, right? I joined uh, Truth Social along with, uh, you know, Twitter and all these other social media places. And I saw her on Truth Social, and she said something along the lines, and it's a paraphrase, um, that, hey, uh, conservatism and liberalism is, is two different things we have to think about, but... Her overall theme was, I love America, and America is really a great place, and this, this wokeness and all this stuff is going to hurt us. And I said, wow, um, let me text back to her. Now, she has millions of followers, so she's never going to see you know, my, my little text, but I sent it back. I responded to her. I said, hey, it seems obvious to me. Why don't you do the thing, and it's time to jump the shark uh, and join the Republican Party, because you are a conservative. Everything you're saying is much more conservative than it is liberal. And of course, she never responded. You know, she's got millions of followers. But then recently, when she came out with her statement that she's leaving the Democrat Party, uh, she says, and more actually more, she's not leaving them, they left her. Well, who else? Who else in history? What great conservative has said that in the past? Well, that would be the great Ronaldus Magnus, Ronald Reagan, who was a, uh, uh, the president of the Screen Actors Guild, back in the 40s and 50s when he was a movie guy. He was a, a Democrat. And then he realized that the party from back then, 
started inching towards the left, further and further towards socialism, communism, small bites, small bites back then. You know, the New Deal, uh, the, the, the Great Society, all these things are more socialist uh, responses to societal problems we had. Um, and you, you can argue whether they worked or didn't, or whether they helped a little, or if they helped a lot. You can make those arguments uh, by looking back over them. But the reality is, Ronald Reagan realized that his beliefs, his beliefs, his love for America, his desire for individual freedom and liberty and to, to live the constitutional way was no longer what his, his Democrat Party was doing. They were inching towards socialism more and more. There was a leftward lurch. First it was slow, then it got bigger and bigger, till today people in the party are actually coming out and saying they are democratic socialists. They're not, they're not hiding behind it anymore. They're being crystal clear. So we really have a crystal clear uh, choice here now. Traditional American kind of uh, freedom and liberty and constitutional life, rule of law, or a socialist utopia that people seem to think that they can develop if they only had the power. Well, this Tulsi Gabbard, by her leaving the Democrat Party, uh, I thought was a, a, a great thing for her personally. Now, who knows? She's going to be an independent. Is she going to be a moderate? Is she going to be a Republican? I don't know. I don't know what she's going to do. But she has realized and has voiced the same thing as Ronald Reagan, that I didn't leave the party. I believed in the tenets that we had. The party left me. The party has veered so far to the left that I can't be a part of it. You know, this wokeness, this cancel culture, destroying people, uh, cutting down on free speech. If they don't like what you say, you're not allowed to say it anymore. You know, that is, um, that is a huge danger. And anybody who goes back in the podcast and listens to my episodes back in the day here on America Out Loud, when I talked about the linchpin of our freedom is our freedom of speech. If you don't like what somebody has to say, you don't have to listen to them. But the idea is to shut them down. People, do you realize how dangerous that is? That you're shutting down people, because they say things that hurt people's feelings. Well, you know, lots of things hurt people's feelings. You know, uh, there's things that people on the left say that hurt my feelings. Should we cancel them? When they come out and tell me that, uh, you know, uh, I, wanna, I want old people driven off the cliff and kill them. That's not true. That's not what I believe. But that's what, they, that's what they accuse me and conservative people of. And that hurts my feelings. So they shouldn't be allowed to say it anymore. But it only works one way. And, when, when you only, and that's the key. When you only have these kind of uh, control measures in place so that only one voice can be heard, only one voice is allowed by law, then you have danger, then you have tyranny. Do you not get that, my friends on the left? And I know there's a lot of my friends on the left listening here. I know they listen to lots of conservative shows. You know, most of them are sitting there with pens and papers trying to catch you saying something and misinterpreting what you said so they can accuse you of something. But I think there's a lot of very intelligent people trying to listen what's going on out there. And this Tulsi Gabbard, I think, is right now, who knows, maybe she, she becomes a nut later on, but right now she seems to be thinking very clearly seeing things very clearly, what's going on here and, and where should I be in this modern world? She says, I love my country. Well, she served her country. 
She, she sacrificed and served her country. I thought that was great. Even when she was a Democrat, I thought that was a good thing. She did the right thing for her country. And she, she loves her country, and she hates this wokeness, and now she's talking about this, this anti-white racism. And that's something I guess you can't talk about because it's okay to attack Christians. That's the one thing you can attack. You can attack Christians. You can attack males. Um, and you can attack uh, white people. You can say anything you want about them. And that, 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 that gets you applause, right? And that is part of the problem. Well, she sees this and realizes that this is not, uh, this is not about tolerance. This is not about accepting each other and trying to understand each other and trying to get along. This is about trying to destroy anyone who doesn't listen and believe what you believe. And that, my friends, is tyranny. And that's why you should fear it, no matter whether you're a Democrat, a liberal, a Republican, a conservative, or anything in the middle. You should be concerned because, what's that old saying? They came, after, uh, they came after the doctors and I said nothing. They came after the nurses, I said nothing. They came until there was nobody left but me and there was nobody there to speak up for me. Now, I know that's not the exact saying, but you get the idea. And that's what's happening. These kind of movements, these socialist, communist, tyrannical kind of movements, they start out targeting certain small groups that we can all agree have a problem or, or cause a problem or a difficulty, real or made up. And we attack them and we can all agree that's good. Shut their speech down because we don't like what they say. Well, eventually it's going to come a time they're going to shut down your speech when you don't follow the line when you don't say what they want you to say. That's how these things work. Open your eyes, open your mind, look at history and realize, instead of digging in your heels and going, no, I'm this, I'm, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, we gotta do that because Republicans hate people. Instead of doing that, maybe you should figure out what's going on, what's gonna happen down the road to you and your family. Where do these movements lead? Venezuela perfect example, modern example, right in front of our faces. They were a modern society with lots and lots of oil, lots of money, good things, and this and that, and boom, they got socialized, and now people are eating their pets, right? How did that work out for them? Well, that's the wrong thing. In, in Finland, it's perfect. No, it's not, right? When they confiscate 60%, 70% of your income, uh, you're not free anymore. Right? So, yeah, but you, I get health care. Yeah, you get health care when you have something serious, you fly somewhere else to get it taken care of. You fly to the United States. Right? Remember I told you that story? A friend of ours had a daughter who, who, uh, who met a, she lived in New York, and she met a man online, and I think he, I'm trying to think, was it Sweden? Sweden, Finland, one of, the, one of those, you know, really great democratic socialist uh, nations. And she fell in love with this guy online, you know, um, and then eventually she visited him. He visited her, everybody, it was really great. They were in love and she decides, I'm gonna move to, to Sweden with him. This is gonna be fantastic. And she got over there and you, you get, you get um, healthcare for life, you get all these kind of things. Well, it turns out you don't get your healthcare unless you've been there for like three years. So she had some problems and she couldn't get the healthcare. Then she had to ride a bicycle everywhere because you only get five gallons of gas per month. Now, I don't know the exact number, but that's how, that's how absurd it was. Your allotment of gasoline was five gallons a month. So they all drive those tiny little squished up little cars. And the rest of the time they rode bicycles. Well, she lived there for, I don't know, four or five years. And finally she said to her husband, we got to get out of here. I can't live like this. They take all our money in taxes. 
uh, uh, sure, great, if I get a cut, I get to go to the doctor and they'll fix it. But other than that, this is terrible. And he wouldn't leave because that's where he grew up. This is family. So she left and came back to the United States. So we can, we can look at the wisdom of meeting someone online and falling in love. That's a whole other story. But when we look at this, here's a real example where, oh, it's, it's so much better over there. Well, get in your car and go there or fly over there. It's not much better. You have no freedom. So you, you got to give up something to get something, right? In our country, in America, we give up our, our cash to buy something. It's, it's, an, it's an exchange that both parties benefit from, right? I want the doctor to, to, um, to fix my ingrown toenail. The doctor says, well, that'll be $500. Yeah, but in England, it's for free. Well, in England, it might be for free, but you might have to wait seven years. So in America, I don't want to wait seven years. My ingrown toenail hurts today. I want it fixed today. So I give the doctor the 500. The doctor fixes my toe. We both benefit. We can argue about the cost. The doctor shouldn't charge 500. It's his skill. I could have went to another doctor. You see how that works? That is what capitalism is. It's an exchange of something of value between two people uh, and each benefits. And that's a good thing. With socialism, they take and then you get what they give out. Right? It's not a complete exchange and people don't really understand what the, how that works. So this Tulsi Gabbard, I have to say I am, I am happy to see that she has, seems to have had an awakening. And when I saw her on a program the other night and somebody asked her, hey, have any of your Democratic colleagues or anybody that you served with or, you know, in your party, have they reached out to you and said anything to you? Because she gave, she gave a scathing rebuke of the Democrat Party wokeness and all this craziness that's going on in that party, you know, the socialism. It was scathing. If you haven't heard it, go to YouTube and hear it. It's, a, it's amazing. It's about a half hour speech. And this, this reporter asked her, have you heard from them? And she goes, actually... Um, I heard specifically from one person who said to me, hey, good for you, that's great. She goes, and then a bunch of other people kind of texted me like a bunch of thumbs up, which means there's probably lots of people thinking about this, right? We can't have party loyalty. We have to have loyalty to our country and to our families. What is best for our country and what is best for our families? When we get caught up in this, I am only a Republican because that's all that's good. And then if our Democrat friends come up with a, actually a good policy, something that might be really beneficial, I should deny it because I'm a Republican and I'm against them. That's, that's stupid. If I was to do that, that would be stupid, right? A healthy two-party system that provides good things for everyone in the country is good because then you'll have honest debates. You'll be able to talk about things. You'll be able to work out problems. But we're not in that place right now. And that's why this election coming up is so important. I've asked all of you, Republican and Democrat out there, to think about what is in the best interest of your family. Is, is 4 or $5 a gallon gasoline in your interest or not? It's not in my interest, not in my family's interest. Is heating oil at $6 a gallon, $7 a gallon, you burn through it in the cold northeast winter. Is that in my interest or is $3 a gallon fuel oil better? Yes. Is freedom of speech even speech we don't like, that we don't have to listen to. Is it better to have more free speech or to have government people controlling what can be said? Well, I'm going to say no, more free speech, even speech I don't like. I don't have to listen to the stuff I don't like. But it's better that it's, it's out there and that we can speak our minds than to be shut down and destroyed. California 
the governor of California, Newsom, who thinks he's going to run for, for, the, for the presidency, and he might. You know, he's a handsome man. He's, uh, he's got the state of California in his pocket. He's got right, right there 50, 50 votes right there. Um, he just signed a law that says doctors, doctors, the people we count on to give us their training and experience in our health care to make decisions that could cost us our lives, right? If a doctor gives you advice different than what the government says they should tell you, they can lose their license and get arrested. That is tyrannical. Who is the governor of California and the legislators there to tell doctors the kind of advice they should give to their patients, what they're allowed to tell their patients. They're not doctors. That's not following the science. That is being tyrannical. Now, if you don't think that's gonna come further, you don't think other places are gonna start going to that, and what do you have then? Then you have government-approved speech. And it's not just that it's government-approved. We approve this message. Now, if you don't spout that message, you will lose your livelihood. You will be arrested. You will be taken off to the gulag. Don't you get that? All of you out there clapping seals, clapping that that's a great idea. There'll be no misinformation, no misinformation. You're counting on government bureaucrats who have motivations that are not in your best interest to make up what you're allowed to say and talk about with your doctor. Do you get that? Let that sink in for a minute. You got bureaucrats, politicians, now telling your doctor at, the, at, at gunpoint what you are allowed to say when it comes to your health. There's doctors now that are handing people government pamphlets when they ask questions about certain health things like COVID. That's the big one. When you're handing them things from about, I can't answer your question, I don't want to get in trouble, but doctor, please tell me what you think. No, I'm not going to do that. Here, here's this pamphlet from the government. You go make your own decision. Do you see how that has destroyed the relationship you have with your doctor? Do you see how, how violent this socialism can become when they decide not just that, hey, this is what the government says. We think this is right. But now they're going to tell you what you have to spew back. So it would be one thing if they just approved a certain message. We approve this message. We're the government. We're here to help. If you want to do something different, that's up to you. But this is what we approve. Okay, that's one thing. But to say, don't you dare say anything different or we'll lock you up. Do you, do you see that? Is my message getting through to you? Right? It's not about hatred of anybody. It's not about disliking people because what the, it's what the policy is going to do to us, right? It's what it's going to do to us as a people. Your freedoms are being eroded. You can't say what you believe anymore. Or you, well, you can, and you'll be destroyed if you have a different belief than what's approved by people. So when we look at this election... That's another thing. Right now, they're saying these polls. The polls are closing all over. It looks like the Republicans will take the House. Uh, they may take the Senate. It looks like it's pretty tied up there. But I, I think the reality, and who was this? Um, the former governor of Arkansas. I can't think of his name. He plays the bass. He's on those. A good guy. He's, on, uh, he's a conservative guy. I can't think of his name. His daughter's running for governor of Arkansas. She was the spokesman for Trump. 
it's just their the head, the numbers, the, the name is slipping out of my head at the moment. And he comes out and he said, um, the reality about these polls is that Republicans, conservatives, and especially white males are not answering accurately because they're afraid to be canceled. You know, he also said people are not putting political, you know, conservatives are not putting political signs in their front yards and they won't put them on their cars. And you know what? I know that to be absolutely true because how many times do you see people, uh, they, they put a bumper sticker, you know, pro-Trump or a pro, pro-DeSantis, pro-anybody. Well, you're a conservative, you're a hater. So therefore you should have your tires slashed and your windows smashed. Do you see the violence there? That's brown shirt activity, right? It's tyrannical behavior that people are, 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 are doing because they're following the leadership that's telling them the riot should keep going on. They shouldn't stop. They shouldn't stop. This is brown shirt Nazism. So when they talk about fascism, 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 um, it's coming from the left. It is not coming from the right. Um, telling people we're going to follow the rule of law is not fascism. Telling people they have to follow the laws is not fascism. Right? That's not fascism. If you don't like the laws, change them. But those are the laws. We all agree to, to live by them. All right? So there's a lot more here. But this election is important. If we don't turn back this tide of socialism uh, and anti-Americanism, if we don't bring some kind of sanity back to our country, this is not sustainable. We cannot go on like this forever and ever and ever. And people are feeling pressured. People are not putting signs in their yard. Their, their free speech has been silenced. The only chance they're going to have is to go to the polls and push that button to try and change things. So however you feel, you know, there's another old saying out there, you get the government you deserve. So if you don't go vote, if you don't go make your voice heard, if you don't go do these kind of things, then you will get the government you deserve. And if you deserve to live under tyranny, if you deserve to live under a socialist government, if you deserve to have your, your, your rights limited and to be canceled and to be destroyed because you have a different opinion, then don't do anything. Sit back and watch it happen. But I'm telling everybody, Republican and Democrat, this is, this is the, one of the greatest gifts we have as free people is to vote. So go out and vote. Vote your best interest. What is good for you and your family? Don't vote party. Vote what's in your best interest. And that's all I'm going to say on that. So thank you. I did want to mention um, this Alex Jones guy was just convicted in the civil court by uh, a, second, a second jury who awarded the families of... Um, Sandy Hook, almost almost a billion dollars because of the things he said. He denied, you know, that um, Sandy Hook was real, that those children were real. He said they were all actors. This was this was a scheme by government set up so that they could uh, get rid of guns. Right now, that's an opinion. That's an opinion. Um, I think it's a stupid opinion, but it's an opinion. I've worked with. The family members, some of the family members from Sandy Hook, I write with them. Um, I've written articles about them. I teach about what happened at Sandy Hook in an attempt to help other schools uh, be safe and parents and everyone to help their kids be safe. This guy, Alex Jones, I think his, his idiotic opinion that this was made up um, is horrible. 
My concern is that they're now taking his idiotic speech and they're saying you can't say those kind of things and you're going to pay money for the rest of your life. Now, don't get me wrong. I think his speech hurt those families. It had to be extremely painful to hear that your child who was murdered, your little baby who was murdered in school, wasn't real, that it was made up, it was an actor. I I agree. Uh, That had to be absolutely horrible to hear that. Uh, I just don't know where this slippery slope leads that, well, you know what? You said something You said something about COVID that wasn't true, and uh, they're going to charge you civilly, and now you're going to pay $2 million for telling your friends that the vaccine doesn't stop the spread of the, of the virus, which it doesn't. But we don't like that you said that. See what I'm saying? So this Alex Jones, I, I think this guy, you know, again, here's one of those examples. When it hurts somebody you don't like, you're okay with it. It's the bigger picture. How can it come back and hurt the rest of us with our speech that somebody doesn't like someday? So I hope this this Alex Jones thinks long and hard about the pain he caused to those families and the memory of those beautiful children who were taken at Sandy Hook. It was real. That was terrible. Um, But I just wanted to mention that because that's out there. It's in popular lore, but it's something else we need to think about. Not about his case. He's, He's a piece of garbage. And what he did was horrible. Um, But the reality is going after people for their speech, again, we have to think about this long and hard as a people because it's him today. It could be you tomorrow. All right, everybody, listen, this is Lieutenant Joe signing off for Chasing Justice saying, remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We'll see you next time down the road.